0: hi my name is andy chamberlain i'm a writer and creative writing tutor and you are listening to the creative writers tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing and welcome to the creative writers tool Belt. and for this episode i'm joined by jesse rita hoffman Jessie is a book editor and writing coach, she's worked with established authors and with hundreds of beginning authors, helping them to perfect and elevate their novels. Jessie is a former publishing house editor-in-chief and an option screenwriter, and today we'll be talking about the challenge of writing a really great romance scene. So, Jesse, welcome to The Creative Writers Toolbelt.
1: Hi, Andy. It's nice to be talking with you.
0: So, Jesse, drawing on your experiences as an editor, what do you find are the biggest mistakes that authors make when writing a romance scene?
1: It's interesting. It seems to be that men err in one direction, my men clients, and my female author clients err in the opposite direction. With females, it seems typically the biggest problem in love scene writing is it gets too melodramatic. It, it sounds sentimental and maudlin. And I'm going to explain why that happens in a minute, what it is that people write in a love scene that wrecks it that way. And at the other extreme, we could call it chauvinism. I like to call it sluttification. It's something that I see in manuscripts that come in from men authors a lot, beginning men authors. And that is what I mean by sluttification is that in a love scene, they tend to make the woman a slut. Mm. I just finished critiquing a manuscript. It was a male author, and he had written this wonderful female character who was very inhibited. She was experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, and you know she'd be walking through a park on the Fourth of July, and she'd hear somebody explode a firework, and she dropped the round because she was so terrified. I mean, this person who's suffering from real post-traumatic stress disorder, but when he wrote his sex scene with this person, he had her out in the middle of a field with a road nearby, pulling off her shirt, raising her arms and prancing around in front of her boyfriend. And... It was completely inconsistent with his character. Yeah. You know, it actually was a very well written scene. And I was telling him, if you were submitting this as a short story to Hustler magazine, probably it would be popular. <laughs> but you're writing for an audience that is 90% female. <laughs> Most people who read novels are female, 90%. And women not only are not going to like this bold, brazen. <laughs> Hussy who's running around in the field, but more than that, it's not consistent with the character that you've created throughout the whole rest of the novel. (laughs) And he's not the only client I've had who does this. It seems to be a flaw in love scenes or sex scenes written by male clients that 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 they just get over the top, and it really does turn off women readers. They don't like that kind of person. They find it hard getting invested in a slut as the main character. So men have to be careful about that. Now, the other extreme, when I get manuscripts from female clients, often it will go in the other direction. We will have these um, cliché expressions like, she was surprised at the sweetness of his kiss. (laughs) And I think about you every moment. (laughs) It's like, what? And it's stuff that we've heard so many times, and it's so maudlin that it spoils what can be a really wonderful book. One lady sent me this book. It was one of the best that I had ever been sent to edit. It was beautifully done, beautiful, beautiful story. But there was a love scene about two-thirds of the way into it, which was actually one of the high points of the book. And the, the, the book just completely nosedived in that scene. It was just so maudlin and this was a female author that she had just gotten completely carried away and had people saying things that they would not say in real life you know in real life in an emotional situation we don't just go pouring out every feeling that we have. The more profound feelings in life can't really be put into words. And if you think about the best love scenes that you've ever read or seen on, in movies or on TV, examine them. Look and read. How did the author do that? And you're going to see that it's what the writer holds back or rather what the character holds back is more powerful than what they actually say. Now, along the same line, let me just say one other thing. I have a theory about why modern readers find Victorian novels so fascinating. You know, they're very popular today. And it relates to what I just said a moment ago about excess in scene writing and a love scene. And that is during the Victorian era, people were very restrained in their romances. They were very proper. They held back a lot more than they actually said. They had all sorts of mores that caused them to do this. And the novels that were written at the time, the love scenes also had this element of restraint in them. And this is what makes them, I think, so fascinating today and I'm so good because there's romance when there is restraint. You know, there was this poem written by John Keats. It's called Ode to a Grecian Urn. It's about two lovers about to kiss and they're painted on this urn and they don't quite kiss. The sculptor has created this moment right before the kiss. And in the poem, Keats is saying how they'll never have their bliss because they never, their lips never actually touch. But that moment of romance, that moment of bliss, is recorded for all eternity, for as as long as that urn is in existence. (laughs) And that's the essence of romance. It's the gap in between the desire and the fulfillment. And that's what we want to write when we're writing a love scene, is to write that gap, create that desire, rather than going in excess. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yes, I do. And I just want to explore that a little bit further with you, if I may. When you're talking about excess... Are you talking there about an excess of description or an excess of dialogue?
1: I'm talking about excess both in dialogue and in description. Uh, As I said a moment ago, life's deepest feelings can never fully be put into words. We know this from our own life experience. And less is more, I think, applies to love scene writing, perhaps more than anywhere else in any other kind of writing. You want to apply restraint in what you let your lovers say to each other and don't try to oversell it. But also, writers tend to overstate the description to go to excess in their description and love scenes. And they'll usually do this by having too many adjectives and adverbs. For instance, they might say a slight tremor of nervousness in his voice. That's something that a client of mine wrote. And it's much better to just say a tremor in his voice. Why say a slight tremor of nervousness in his voice? That's just too much. It's wordy and it overdoes it. And here's another example. Looking into his honest deep blue eyes that are brimming with unspoken, undying love. That's something that another client <laughs> Now, yeah, it's laughable because they're they're trying so hard to make this romantic, and they're trying too hard. In this situation, let the romance do the talking for you. Don't try and put everything into the description in, in terms of words because it just won't work. So we could change looking into his honest deep blue eyes that are brimming with unspoken undying love to simply looking into his honest blue eyes full of unspoken love. Is it mm. much better that sounds?
0: Yes, yes, it does, yeah.
1: Now, unspoken love is a cliché. So I would work to make, you know, come up with something a little better. But it's so much better than the first version.
0: So it sounds as if keeping the lovers from fulfilling their desire is important. And in terms of description and dialogue, less is more.
1: Exactly. Exactly. There's just so much power in what what we hold back, just like in real life, you know, in in our own real life love scenes.
0: Okay. So Jesse, you've mentioned two specific mistakes there, one that you tend to see in manuscripts from men and one that you tend to see in manuscripts from women. Are there other common mistakes that you see in manuscripts when people, especially perhaps novice writers, are trying to write a romance scene?
1: Yes, um, there are some others that are pretty general, pretty much in any scene writing. But since we're talking about love scene writing, we'll talk about these flaws as they pertain to love scene writing one is cliches we were talking a a moment ago about cliches and it's very normal when you're writing a story to write it with cliches it's just much easier to come up with a cliche than to come up with something original and when i'm doing my own writing i don't worry about that i write and i notice here's a cliche you know i just wrote unspoken love or whatever and I don't worry about it. I keep writing because if I interrupt the writing to go back and think, oh, now what's a better term than unspoken love? I'm going to completely lose the flow of the scene, lose the flow of the inspiration. So you don't want to try and fix your cliches while you're in the middle of writing them. (laughs) Just keep writing, focus on the scene. You do want to give attention to cliches when you go back and do your revision process. So when you're revising, actually do a read through where you're looking specifically for cliches in that scene. Say, okay, now is there any are there any clichés here and they will pop out at you and they say okay now what's a more original way of saying this and then give it some time think about it if it, an answer doesn't come right away go on to the next cliche and think about that and if the answers don't come immediately maybe they'll come when you're eating lunch but just notate the cliche so that you can go back and you're going to leave them in there so that is a very common mistake in all scene writing that i've come across as cliches another mistake that's very common is point of view violations and people i think make them more often than they're aware of they know that they're not supposed to just flip from writing about one character's point of view to another character's point of view overtly but they'll do it sometimes without realizing it you have to remember to write the scene from one person's point of view one character so you're not going to be telling us what the girl is feeling and then a moment later telling us what the guy is feeling and then back to the girl that gets really confusing and we get whiplash you need to write it from either the girl's point of view or the guy's point of view. If you're writing it from her point of view, you're telling us what she's feeling and thinking. But when you talk about the guy, you can only be telling us what she observes him saying or observes his gestures or tone of voice or facial expression. It's very important not to whiplash back and forth and point view. And then another very common mistake that I see in scenes in general is inconsistent spatial details where the, the author writes, he took her hand in his and strolled down the path. And then a minute later, Later, he'll say, He took her hand. Well, he already took her hand, right? (laughs) He can't take her hand if he's already holding her hand. So they forget that. I had a story that I was critiquing the other day, and there was a woman on a horse, and this guy walked up to the woman, and all of a sudden, he puts his hand on her shoulder. on the horse the author forgot to bring yeah. the phone down off the horse so you have to be aware of the spatial details where your characters are in the scene and what they're doing you can't have them sit down on the couch and then have them sit down on the couch pretty much every beginning author makes this mistake you need to when you're revising again you don't worry about it while you're writing because that's the creative flow but when you're doing the, the revising process give a revision where you're specifically looking to see if your characters are where supposed to be
0: <laughs> okay so jesse apart from avoiding the problems that you've already highlighted are there any other tips and insights that you can give us around writing a really great romance scene
1: well there are actually eight specific tips that i would give new authors working on a love scene and i'm going to go through them now but also i'd like to refer characters characters i'd like to refer and their characters, I suppose, to my website, to a a blog article that I've written on this specific topic, which is how to write a moving love scene. And if you go to my blog at www.jessieritohoffman.com, you and type in love scene in the search bar, it will bring you to the blog article that I'm talking about, which gives more details than I'm able to give here. But anyway, one of the tips I would give for writing a romantic love scene is establish believable reasons for your characters to fall in love. Many amateur love stories fail because the author expects us to understand why two people care about each other. And we know that sexual attraction, of course, is part of it. But for a relationship to really move us, to really absorb us as readers, we need to have believable reasons established for why the characters feel a pull in each other's direction. And it has to be something more timeless and tender than mere animal instinct. It's important to think this through before you put pen to paper. You want to have a really strong foundation for the love relationship, because if you don't, if you just have two characters who just suddenly are just madly attracted to each other, the readers aren't going to believe it, and they're going to have a so-what attitude towards the romance. So think about it before you write. What is it that's going to make these people come together? What's going to attract them to each other? And make sure you make that clear in the story. You want to also build restraint and tension in the development of the relationship. Think about your favorite love stories. What makes two people care about each other? What restraint do they have to practice? What problems do they have to overcome on the journey to true love? Build in restraint, build in tension, build in conflicts to their getting together, and you're going to have an interesting story, interesting love scene, too. So then the second tip I would give is give the characters something other than themselves to talk about with each other. This is one way to avoid the pitfall of schmaltzy hackneyed dialogue. Give them something important they need to discuss, a problem unrelated to their relationship that they need to solve. And this can be the basis of their coming together, too. You know, we work together to solve a problem and we start to connect with another person. So that makes for believability why they would be falling in love. And then the third tip is, we already pretty much talked about this, I think, is limit the dialogue. The power is not what they don't say. less is more. And then my fourth tip is use subtext versus on-the-nose dialogue. And this, of course, is something that we know as writers that we're supposed to do. But it's particularly important in a love scene. In difficult situations or in romantic situations, we, we feel ex- exposed and often speak in subtext we don't come right out and say exactly what we mean we feel vulnerable when we do that so in real life that's how people talk when they feel vulnerable they are talking about one thing when on a deeper level they're really talking about something else and that's how it should be when we're writing an emotional scene whether it's a love you know another kind I wonder, is it that we intentionally speak in subtext when we're feeling vulnerable, or is it that our subconscious mind forces the truth to percolate to the surface? I don't know.
0: Well, it's interesting that you should say that. The editor and writing coach Sol Stein talks about oblique dialogue, and I think by that he means dialogue which is... Not absolutely direct, and he in- encourages his students to write oblique dialogue. So, a dialogue which just hints at things and infers things rather than saying them outright. Yes. And I think his point is as well that, in fact, this is how people do speak in real life. They speak in terms with just imply and hint at things, and we should copy that.
1: Yes. Oblique dialogue. I like that. It's a good term for it. Mm. Okay. So, then um, my next tip is don't overstate the description. We already talked about that and how. If you use too many adjectives and adverbs, it weakens what you're describing. Only use adjectives and adverbs when you really have to have them. If you are having to add an adverb to a verb, it's probably because your verb is weak. It's not really the verb you're looking for. Try and find a better verb. If you're having to add a bunch of adjectives to a noun, it could well be that you need a better noun. So try and keep the writing lean and don't overdo the description. That's what creates the maudlin, sappy-sounding stuff, if you overdo description. And mostly when people overdo it, it's in terms of adjectives and adverbs. All right, so the next point is delay the kiss. As we were saying earlier, romance takes place in the space between attraction and fulfillment. The longer you can spread out that space, the more romantic your scene or your story becomes. In real life, we know that sex disappoints if there isn't enough of a prelude. And a love scene disappoints if it slams the characters together without enough romance leading to their union. Okay. So give your characters a believable reason to fall in love and slowly build for that long-awaited kiss. Give a scintillating dialogue. In the interim and descriptions of what the point of view character thinks and feels, delay the fulfillment to deepen it. That's the spirit of romance. Delay the sex. Delay the kiss. And that brings me to the next point, which is somewhat related. And that is don't write about body parts. Okay. You don't want to spoil an otherwise compelling story by spotting it with lurid scenes talking about... (laughs) I would say the words, but I'm afraid it's put your podcast on the.
0: I think we all know <laughs> it's going to get mean. a negative. <laughs> I think that's the point, <laughs> isn't it? That you don't have to say it because we all know what you.
1: Well, I actually um, had this in an article that I was publishing on on another website, on a writer's website, and the owner of the website said, "No, you can't have that point seven in there about body parts because if, if you're mentioning body parts, and that's going to get me mess, you know, Google's going to." give me bad points because i'm using (laughs) bad words (laughs) so she wouldn't let me include this point in the article but i think we all know what bad words we're talking
0: about. i think we all know exactly what you mean
1: (laughs) yeah we're all big boys and girls and we all know the names of our body parts and we don't have to go using those words in our in our sex scenes or love scenes a love scene does not become sexier by throwing in as many forbidden words as possible in hopes of stunning or tantalizing the reader. That's not romantic. It cheapens the story when the writer does that. And remember, women readers in particular don't like cheap sex scenes. And women readers are ninety percent of the fiction reading audience. So if you're if you're going to write a sex scene, at least make sure that you. And I would argue that the best romances don't even have sex scenes. But if you're going to do that, at least allow some mystery. Don't talk about what all each and every body part is doing. <laughs> focus on the emotions and thoughts of your point of view character that's what will make it romantic (laughs) so anyway then there's one last point and this is on a little higher note than the last one and that is get cosmic we know how in real life that some of the most exalted moments that we experience include a feeling of oneness with the universe oneness with something greater than ourselves often and when we're in love There's just that feeling when you're in love of being connected with just the whole world. You're just in love with the world and everything makes sense. It's a wonderful cosmic awareness and I think that's a lot of why we love to fall in love. So same thing goes for writing your love scene because you want your love scene to be like real life. If you can incorporate elements of the cosmic into the love scene, it will make it that much more moving and and beautiful.
0: Okay, so can you give us some examples of the kinds of things you mean when you talk about getting cosmic?
1: Yeah, I can give you a couple examples from things that my clients have written and also from literature. So here's from something that a client wrote. She felt as if they had kissed here long ago beside this brook with other birds singing. Isn't that lovely? Mm. And here's another one. It seemed to him that kiss expanded beyond their bodies, whirling them round, swirling them into the stars. Nice, huh?
0: Yeah, I think that gives us a good sense of what you're talking about here. Have you maybe got a couple more for us?
1: Yeah, and this is such a lovely thing when we add this to our writing, to our love scene. So here's what we find in Wuthering Heights, an example where they're doing this. The author says, My love for Linton is like the foliage in the woods. Time will change it, I'm well aware, as winter changes the trees. My love for Heathcliff resembles the eternal rocks beneath. A source of little visible delight, but necessary. Now, I am Heathcliff. He's always, always in my mind, not as a pleasure any more than I am always a pleasure to myself, but as my own being. Isn't that profound? Mm, Yes. And here's what we find in Dr. Zhivago. You and I, it's as though we have been taught to kiss in heaven and sent down to earth together to see if we know what we were taught. So here are a couple more. This one is from Winnie the Pooh, the the last book of Winnie the Pooh. And it's more of a, it's a bromance, not a romance. The love between Christopher Robin and his pet bear. It's a beautiful love scene. And I'm going to read this to you because it also demonstrates what i meant earlier about it's what we don't say the power is in what Mm, we say yes christopher robin doesn't come right out and say exactly what he means but you can tell what he means and it's more powerful that he's holding back and at the very end there's this beautiful cosmic mind that i remembered ever since i was a little girl when i read this oh and i let me give you the context here this is the last scene of the book where christopher robin is growing up and he knows it's time to put away his toy bear And he's conflicted about this because he loves this bear, but he's becoming a a young man, and he has to let this go. So here's what he says to Winnie the Pooh. Suddenly again, Christopher Robin, who was still looking at the world with his chin in his hand, called out, Pooh, yes, said Pooh. When I'm, when, Pooh, yes, Christopher Robin. I'm not going to do nothing anymore. Never again? Well, not so much. They don't let you. Pooh waited for him to go on, but he was silent again. Yes, Christopher Robin, said Pooh helpfully. Pooh, when I'm, you know, when I'm not doing nothing, will you come up here sometimes? And, And what he's talking about right now is this place up at the top of the woods where they always love to come and play. So will you come up here sometimes, he says. And Pooh says, just me? Yes, Pooh. Will you be here too? Yes, Pooh, I will be, really. I promise I will be Pooh. That's good, said Pooh. Pooh promise you won't forget about me ever, not even when I'm a hundred. Pooh thought for a little. How old shall I be then? ninety nine Pooh nodded. I promise, he said. Still with his eyes on the world, Christopher Robin put out a hand and felt Pooh's paw. Pooh, said Christopher Robin earnestly, if I if I'm not quite He stopped and tried again. Pooh, whatever happens, you will understand, won't you? Understand what? Oh, nothing. He laughed and jumped to his feet. Come on. Where, said Pooh. Anywhere, said Christopher Robin. So they went off together. But wherever they go and whatever happens to them on the way, in that enchanted place on the top of the forest, a little boy and his bear will always be playing. That just gets me, that last line isn't that beautiful
0: yeah yeah it is beautiful and it's really authentic as well isn't it It's
1: like the eternity of love the eternity of love even if we're not able to stay in that love and doesn't it make you think about relationships you've had where you have fallen out with that person but in that enchanted place on the top of the forest the little boy and the bear will always be playing (laughs) and there's something eternal about love that even if we're not people able to stay in love there's something about that love that is that goes on and lasts beyond whether or not we're even able to be true to it or be able to live in it you know people's personalities and values change and you know you'll often see this like with a couple that's gotten divorced and then one of them dies and when the funeral happens what happens with the living partner and the love that was always there but that could never be lived in the world i remember when my my father died that he'd been divorced from my mother for a long time and it was the most moving sorrowful thing to see her response when he died and the beauty of the love that had always been there anyway i think that's what that that line from winnie the pooh was talking about an eternity of love and that's that's what you want to if you can put that into your love scene and then I've got one more if I can read it. Um, I'm not just reading these as examples, but because I think they're really inspiring, you know, to, to us as readers and as writers. And we can write about this kind of love. It is, it makes our story so powerful. So this is from a poem. This is a poem by William Butler Yeats, who had this relationship with this woman in his life who he absolutely adored who just never, it was like unrequited love. She just really didn't respond. She was an actress, and she had all these men after her, and it was just a very sad situation, but he loved her all his life. And here's a poem that he wrote about this. When you are old and gray and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace? And loved your beauty with love false or true. But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you. And all the sorrows of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars. Murmur a little sadly how love fled. And paced upon the mountains overhead. And hid his face amid a crowd of stars. Well, that was a poem, not a love scene. But I think it demonstrates something, you know, the kind. Of thing that, that i think we need if we can write exalted love like that it just takes people's breath away
0: yes it really does doesn't it well jesse thank you so much for sharing with us in this episode your thoughts and expertise on the subject of writing the love scene now at the beginning of the conversation we mentioned that jesse is a book editor and writing coach if you'd like to find out more just go to jesse's website that's www jessireetahoffman.com and I'll spell that for you it's j-e-s-s-i-r-i-t-a-h-o-f-f-m-a-n.com and there you can find resources for writers and also a contact page so that's all for this episode I hope this has been helpful to you thank you again for listening goodbye (music)